BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode of A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica is brought to you by the House of Chanel. Harnessing the revitalizing powers of the red camellia flower, Chanel Research introduces a new generation of sustainably developed skincare. Numero un de Chanel. Beauty ahead of time. Discover the collection at Chanel.com. Chanel introduces a new generation of sustainably developed skincare concentrated with the extraordinary anti-aging properties of the red camellia flower. Numero un de Chanel harnesses the powers of this uniquely resilient ingredient to address the five signs of aging and support skin's vitality. The complexion appears younger, smoother, radiant, and revitalized. Numéro 1 de Chanel. Beauty ahead of time. To learn more about the line, visit chanel.com. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for a secret menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. I don't know about any of you people listening, but we just need things to feel good about right now. Just like things to feel one way about. And that way is good. <laughs> just comfort, happy stuff. I wrote recently in Secret Menu about how into all of the like good news Instagram accounts mm-hmm, I am. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Like these things existed before the pandemic, but then definitely took off because of the pandemic. And I just was always like, I don't know, skeptical or something of them or just of felt. Course, or just like, why do I need this? Who needs this? Yeah. Wrong. Eh. Wrong. <laughs> they are pure and true and happy. And I'm so glad they exist. And I just want all of my content to mirror that spirit and that energy. That's it. That's it. You ran into a news story recently that mirrored this energy hard. Oh my gosh. I absolutely loved it. It was like a rare moment where the New York Times served me up something I actually wanted to read just by going into its app. Normally, I feel like I have to dig so much. Um, It is this story about this physics professor at City College of New York who, when he returned to in-person teaching in last November, found this huge box in his office, $90 in postage. It cost somebody $90 to send him this box. And then inside was $180,000 in cash. In cash, in cash. All 50 and $100 bills. The person who sent it was anonymous. They wrote a letter basically saying like they had benefited from the New York City public school system. They'd gone to Stuyvesant and then they'd gone to City College and gotten a physics degree and then gone on to have this really rewarding career in science. And 
wanted this money to fund tuition for science and math students who were in need of it, who were like high performing and needed the financial assistance. And this has never happened before because also people usually A, tell you when they're going to make a donation and B, don't send it in cash. And (laughs) A and B. Yep. 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 (laughs) I also just loved also that this had just been sitting around for so long. Like they said at least nine months more that this, that this package had been sitting around because the guy wasn't around to receive it. But also they just couldn't accept it right away because when it's in cash like that and it's anonymous, they're like, this could have come from criminal activity. This could be drug money. We can't just accept this money. So the money was treated like evidence and stored in a safe in the public safety office. The officials (laughs) contacted federal authorities and they used information on the bans bundling the cash to determine that it had been withdrawn from several banks in Maryland in recent years and was not connected to criminal activity. So the federal agents were like, it's truly untraceable, and but it's not from criminal activity. So then the board at City College voted to accept the cash, and they were all just, like, so elated. What is the scenario where they would vote not to? I love, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, apparently they were, it was a very enthusiastic, joyful vote. So, yeah, I mean, I who knows, really, what, what the scenario would be. But I, I also just loved that it feels like for a lot of institutions, $180,000 would it's not insignificant ever, but like it's sort of a drop in the bucket for like institutions that are raising tons of money. Yes. If Harvard got $180,000 in the mail, they'd be like, add it to the top of the <laughs> right. pile. Like it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but City College, the tuition, the annual tuition there is $7,500. So 180K covers a lot. They're going to use it to fund two full tuition scholarships each year for more than a decade, which is just wonderful. It's wonderful. It's glorious. Also, I love a college that costs $7,500 in 2022. This is where we should be as a culture. Let's do it. Like it just really made me so happy. No huge endowments, low, low tuition. Let's go. God, let's do it. This reminded me of when we, when like back in of a kind days in our office on Mm -hmm. Fulton street, when we shared it with this nonprofit and they had like long moved out, but they were like in this sort of like charity sort of direct giving space. And many months after they moved out, we got this piece of mail from them. And it was just like, we, it, everybody in the office was like, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. what is this? And it turned out it, they, we like reached out to them to figure out what we should do with this piece of mail. Do you want it to send along? And they're like, open it up. Tell us what it is. Like, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was a million dollar check. And they had no idea it was coming. So back to your point A from before, like usually A, you know, it's coming. B, it's not in cash. Well, this wasn't in cash, but it was a million dollar check no. that they did not know was coming from another anonymous donor. And it was just also, you know, we had worked alongside them. So we knew that they were this like relatively at the time, relatively small non for profit that was just really hustling hard and was like led by this one woman who was just such a workhorse and was dedicating so much time to it. And to like her reaction when she got this million dollar check for this organization was so incredible. It was really, it was such a feel good moment in general. It was a joy. It was just an absolute joy. Absolute joy. Okay. Should we get into some content that other people can also consume? Yes, let's do it. Okay. 
The thing that I am like just absolutely obsessed with right now is Lewis Miller designs and his flower flash book. So Lewis Miller's is a florist and he's like just he does like big deal events. And like one of the things that came up in, in his book was like a Downton Abbey premiere party or like something mm-hmm. like that, like those types of things. So he's like a big deal florist, but he started uh, in 2016 doing these really amazing projects that he calls flower flashes, which are just these like out door installs, primarily like almost exclusively in New York City that are meant to be these just like very fleeting things. But they're these like huge installs, like the Alice, like at the Alice uh, in Wonderland statue in Central Park, like a huge garland around her or Mm -hmm. like filling up like a telephone booth with flowers or like a bus stop, like these just very big art installations. Yes, exactly. And the book like gets into like a little bit of like, what is art? How do we think Mm -hmm. about these things? Like what is street art? Like all of that. The book is so like good and compelling. And I just like got very like feelingsy about it in a way that I was like very interested in. Like, I feel like I was on the verge of tears reading it like Mm -hmm. the whole time. I would say it says so much about the strength of where your mental state must be right now (laughs) that you didn't actually cry. Like, I feel like most people, all they need is the slightest (laughs) poke and it's a (laughs) sob. And you're like, I almost cried. Well, aren't you doing well? (laughs) I feel like I was like, am I really going to Seems like you're doing Am I really going to cry about flower installations? <laughs> Is that going to be the thing? Like, I don't know. But I do feel like the things that like lately have just had me like dabbing my eyes. There was a New York Times story today about mm-hmm. a rat who, slif- who sniffed out landmines who just passed. The rat passed away. The rat. What? Yeah, like. Oh, my like, god! You're getting a little scary about that. That makes me feel devastating. Yeah. No, he's, he's fine. He retired. He like did like he was well okay. appreciated. Everything was like. He lived a great life and he served so many people. He saved so many lives, this rat. Wow, it's just so rare that rats get lauded for anything. I mean, especially in a New York media publication. Totally. I think the last guy we saw get that much attention was Pizza Rat, you know? Mm, Yeah, true. And his feats were of different, of a different kind, a different Mm -hmm. ilk. But yeah, I just feel like animal content and floral content recently are just really like, I don't know, the way that like old people content always, like no matter what it is, like gets Mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. Love old people content for sure. But part of, I think what is like very much speaking to me about this is that there's like a little bit of like a Jason Polin energy to what Lewis Miller does Mm. in that it's like, so Jason Polin is an artist Mm -hmm. who one of his big projects was drawing every person in New York, which is like an LOL pursuit, like obviously Mm -hmm. not going to make it happen. And I feel like this is that same sort of like energy of just like really appreciating New York and like all of the Mm -hmm. like little like fleeting moments of it and not taking anything seriously except like the the ambition to bring people joy. Yes. Yes. Oh, that is wonderful. I love it so much. So there's like the layout of this book's beautiful. The photography is beautiful. It's from the woman who, this woman who works for him, Irini Arakis Greenbaum. And she has like a very lovely little essay in the back of the book too, sort of explaining like she grew up in New York and just like has all of these like feelings about that. You got to look at this guy's Instagram, if not the whole book, but sometimes he repurposes flowers for events. Sometimes like he sources them specifically. He does it in the dead of night around New York. He doesn't announce the location. And... They're all like all of these arrangements are totally disassembled within hours because people obviously just like take them apart and put together their own bouquets and like ravage them, just like absolutely ravage them, which he loves. Yeah. I mean, because that's like the whole thing of it. It's just bringing people joy. Bringing people joy. And there's like a 
Exactly. It's ephemeral. And like that fleeting like nature of it is like, like definitely the draw. And there was a little like note about how for one of these Valentine's installations, it like involved a lot of carnations, which Claire, he said he loves carnations, which I thought would give you carnation. Yeah, I thought would give you joy. And he said that some guy grabbed a bucket and like picked a bunch of these carnations, walked a half block down the street and started selling them for a dollar. And it was just (laughs) like he was like, way to go. Like, yes, like love love the spirit. Yeah, love the hustle. And one of the things that has become sort of like a Lewis Miller trademark is assembling these arrangements in New York City trash cans, which like do Mm -hmm. have that like slight fluting of a vase. Yes, they do. Like look closely. And he was worried in the beginning. The old school ones anyway. Now they all like the fancy ones that that don't don't allow trash to blow out, which, you know, good, (laughs) good, good for everything except (laughs) Lewis Miller and his flower flashes. Exactly. And so in the beginning, he wasn't sure how the Department of Sanitation workers were going to like feel about Mm. him like filling, filling trash cans with flowers when they're supposed to be emptying them, which like fair. But now like all the sanitation workers, like they spot him and they'll be like, hey, you're going to make that like, is that the one you're going to do or like whatever? There's like a relationship there. That's sweet. Love that. It's just wonderful. I also really liked learning in the book that there are various brands that have like got involved pretty early on sponsoring stuff, but I, but actually like didn't attach their names to it, or at least like not in a way that was Mm. visible to me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what? like now there are like more visible brand associations sometimes. Um, But I just really loved that. Like there was an old Navy project and an Equinox project with Equinox. They did like a whole pride thing at Stonewall. And like, I didn't know that that was Equinox and like props to them. Yeah, that's great. Good um, for them. Good for them. They're also, he also sells prints and they're free digital wallpapers. If the prints are great. They're so good. Yeah. And he did this flower flash kit for Valentine's Day last year that I got Thomas. And I'll tell you what, it was like such a joy. There were videos with Lewis on like how to think about arranging and all of that. It was like a very beloved splurge. And I just like, I don't know. It, it was interesting to read his thoughts on how he thinks about these flower flashes and just that like floral design is this like very precise thing. And like people are like mm-hmm. very persnickety about it. But like when you do this on the street, it's not like that. And that's like what's cool and fun and exciting about it, that it has to be a little like slapdash and just like, I don't know, off the cuff. I love that. It is truly yeah. delightful. He really is such a, a New York City icon, like a, a modern icon of New yeah. York. Yeah. I love that. My book report yeah. is a movie report Ugh, on love. a movie that I watched on the plane. I haven't watched a movie on a plane in so long because all of my flights have been with toddlers well, one singular toddler. Yeah. Alone toddler. And I noticed that Delta was showing all that jazz, which I was so surprised, or I don't know why I've never seen this movie because it's by Bob Fosse about Bob Fosse. And I went through a huge Bob Fosse phase in high school, basically. Cabaret was one of the first things I rented at the video store because that's just the kind of theater kid I was. It was like, (laughs) I went through, I was like deep into musical theater and Loved cabaret, definitely did not understand like half of it at that age, but really loved it. I'm glad. And then, <laughs> much to my delight, my freshman year of high school, the big musical that we put on was Pippin, and I was in the chorus. And I was a terrible dancer. I specifically remember being asked to be to like move back a couple rows. Like I think I had originally been in the Claire's front row. And like Claire, if you could just switch places with that one, mm-hmm. we'll be that'll but, be a better angle on you, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I think because it was so hard for me to learn the dance, I still remember it to this day because I just had to practice so much. I remember my show choir dances from high school too. <laughs> 
And then all of this coincided with like that moment where Fosse had a bit of a heyday in the late 90s on Broadway. Like I, my great aunt Ruth would always take me to see shows and we went to see Chicago in 1997 and then they mounted Cabaret at Studio 54 in 98, which you and I went and saw the like remount yeah, the of that specific yeah. production recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was this show just called Fosse in 99 that was just a, like a musical review of all of his stuff that I was just obsessed with. And I just... I loved him and it felt, I mean, you know, it was pre-internet. So it felt very much like my own, my thing. Like I, I loved Fosse. No one else could own this because you had it. Yeah. Yeah. This was my thing. Oh yes. All of which is to say it's shocking that I hadn't seen this movie, which is written and directed by Bob Fosse and it's semi-autobiographical. It's definitely him just like working through a lot of shit <laughs> that he should have been working through in therapy, but, but on he the did it with screen. us instead. <laughs> exactly. I also, for what it's worth, have not seen Fosse Verdon and I want to watch that at some point, especially now after watching this. This movie is so weird. It's, it's a musical, basically. It's also, it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture and was like, between that and Beauty and the Beast, no musicals were nominated for us. No Wait, music, what? movie that musicals. Was the, that was the, the time differential. Yes, yeah. exactly. Whoa, okay. Exactly. It might, I don't, I don't think it won. I can't remember. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know whether it won. It did really well, which shocked me because this movie is so unhinged. It is like the first half of it is 50% fever dream where he is just constantly, it's constantly cutting to these conversations he's having with the angel of death played by Jessica Lange, who he also <laughs> dated at some point in real life. And then wait, this, wait, that, wait, 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 I have an aside huh. to this. Wasn't what? Jessica Lange at the mounting? Yes. Of, of, oh my of, God. I forgot you, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. I, I forgot the point that you were there. But yes, I made that connection while watching it. I was like, I didn't know that they'd ever dated. I didn't know that she was in anything of his. And watching this, I was like, I made that connection where I was like, wait, we saw her when we went to see yeah. Cabaret at yeah. Studio 54. And that, and it all of a sudden had so much more significance for me that she was in the audience with us. Wow. Um, so yes, a young, beautiful Jessica Lang plays the angel of death. Basically the plot that is based on real life is that he's finishing editing a movie that he directed and he's working on putting up a Broadway production, which in real life was Chicago. And this is like a weird horny musical <laughs> about flight attendants. <laughs> <laughs> and his ex-wife is the star of the musical in real life. Gwen Verdon was star was the star of Chicago in this. His like fictional ex-wife is in it is the star. And he's just working himself to death, like drinking a ton, sleeping with lots of people, taking a ton of pills. And it's just like, you can tell from the beginning of the movie that like, it's not tenable and he's going to like end up in the hospital or die or both. And so the beginning, you're just like, first of all, the movie explains nothing. It feels like so not of this era in that way. Like you just have to kind of like get on board and catch up. And then you keep cutting to these angel of death scenes. And then eventually the angel of death is more or less drowned out by these fever dreams he's having that are full-blown, over-the-top musical theater productions with dancing and singing and insane costumes featuring all of, like, the key players in his life. And eventually, Ben Vereen, who is, like, a major Fosse collaborator, leads the final number. It's, like, completely unhinged. And I was sure that I was going to research this and find out that this is something that had been totally panned and like became a cult classic later because it felt 
like right. the way like cats or something. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so insane. Like I loved it, but it's insane. Yeah, yeah, Instead, yeah. Instead, yeah. it was like, no, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. <laughs> it was nominated for seven Oscars and won four. Kubrick called it one of the best movies he'd ever seen. Okay. The best movie he'd ever seen. Okay. I just found it delightful. And what's really... The raves just are piling up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, the other thing about it that really catered to my interest is because it is semi-autobiographical, it just gave me the opportunity to do such a deep dive on all these people and find out like the real life story and what all their deals were. And it's so fascinating because it has this like very rare representation of divorce where the the people are still collaborating. Like he's got his ex-wife as, you know, the lead in his show. They're co-parenting somewhat amicably. And then the ex-wife and the new girlfriend are friends and, or, or not friends. They're fine. With, they're friendly. And they're like, they have a relationship of some sort. Yeah. Yes. And then it turns out in real life, Anne Ranking and Gwen Verdon were very close and like really, and when Gwen Verdon left the lead role in Chicago. She trained and ranking to take it over. Like there was no bad blood there, even though there obviously could have been. And ranking became really close with Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse's daughter and like choreographed a bunch of dances with her, her like young daughter. This is I also like shown. love how much like deep Googling this allowed you to do because this oh really is your dream content. Like if you exactly. can, if you like what you really want is like twice as much time spent deep Googling as the, sh- the production was. Can you imagine how frustrating it was for me that I was on a plane and I had to wait until it landed to Google? Did how did, because, did you make a list of things you wanted to Google or did you just Well, here's what I did. With it. For, well, here's <laughs> I'm going to get really specific with you. Delta has like the free messaging, you know, uh-huh. app oh, free so you Wi-Fi message yourself. No, 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 no. Okay. I I'll Googled let you actually it. tell it. <laughs> it serves it serves up Google results. So, and you know how Google will show you previews of Wikipedia pages and stuff like oh that if you God, ask questions. Claire, yeah. So I would be like reading the first chunks of things. And then I was basically screenshotting and bookmarking the things that I wanted to read because there's so much content around it because there were like, there've been so many Fosse revivals, like Anne yeah, Ranking yeah. basically mounted Fosse. So there was a ton of, inter- the musical review, the, sh- the Broadway yeah. review. So there's a ton of interviews with her then. And then she's still alive when Verdon Fosse was aired. I think she died kind of recently. I, I would maybe be wrong about yeah. that. But so then she was interviewed in the New Yorker around like the, the release of Fosse Verdon and people were sort of fact checking things with her. And so there's just so much content to be had around all of this, which I really appreciated. And and now I also get to go watch Fosse Verdon and I'm thrilled about it. I have to say that I'm sorry for creating such a compelling um, case for this film. If you think that I did, because it is not <laughs> available to stream anywhere except for Delta flights. You have to buy the DVD from the Criterion collection. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I thought it is interesting. <sighs> You know what? I, ju- I put it on a list of things to watch recently because I hadn't seen it before you took this this flight. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was in, is it like, su- it's like super New York-y or no? Yes. Yes. It takes place. Not no, no, no. It does. Okay. It takes place in New York. Okay. So then I think it was in a New York magazine list of like best New York movies of all time. And I think that's where I like it is it a, from. Oh my gosh. It's such a, it is so good as a New York movie and it is so good as like a musical theater geek movie. The entire opening sequence is so iconic. It's just a ton of dancers auditioning for this show. And it just has that really specific energy of theater auditions. It feels like the opening of fame in a lot of ways. Uh, uh uh I also think a chorus line has a very similar opening. And it's just like that intense, anxious energy of, of like theater. 
like yeah of yeah. theater and trying to impress and all of it I just found it so delightful I was worried it was going to be like sad or dark and it is a little bit but it's also just funny and fun and it I would I because I was left with nothing to do because I had was not going to pay for Wi-Fi just to stalk the the real life story of this movie I went back and rewatched certain scenes because the dancing is also so delightful I mean that's a joy okay I need to talk to you about this podcast that like it's really so much more you than it is me. That's my mm-hmm. best description of it. It's called Once Upon a Time Bennington College. It is about the class of 1986 at Bennington College, which is this very small liberal arts school in Vermont, like like 700 people in its current undergraduate enrollment. Small, mm-hmm. tiny. Okay. Okay. So in this graduating class, we have Donna Tart, Brett Easton Ellis, and Jonathan Lethem. All three. Wow. All three. Wow. So this podcast is hosted by this woman, Lily Analik, who's a contributing editor to Vogue. She's also apparently married to a very famous dermatologist, which feels like another thing that you would be deeply interested in. Are you not going to tell us the dermatologist's name? No, I think we need to leave some people something to Google, don't you think? Okay, fine, fine. (laughs) Okay. So this started as an oral history for Esquire a couple years ago and then has now spun out into this podcast. The tone is like, gossip mm. world to the extreme. Like, it's like there are moments where she'll be like, <laughs> well, listeners, if you thought that was the mm-hmm. most, da, da, da. like, mm-hmm. it's like that whole thing. It is ridiculous. It can be like very eye rolly. Mm-hmm. It is also fun. It's just like a lot of fun because it's definitely like, it definitely is taking all of this extremely seriously, but like in the way that a person might have their freshman year of college, if that I makes see. sense. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like it's 14 episodes. Okay. Episode six. That's kind of a lot. It is a lot. And they're hour-long episodes. This is not like a tight little podcast. This is like a sprawling, like, let's get into it. Wade into the deep end with me, friends, like, thing. So, And have you listened to the whole thing? Most. Not the whole thing yet. Because, again, I I haven't had full hours yet. What 14 hours have you spent doing this? Okay, great. Keep going. You know, it's a great getting ready podcast because it's also, like, nice in 20 minutes at a time. By episode six, so almost the halfway mark, you're Mm -hmm. only at winter break freshman year. I love it. Brett Easton Ellis and Jonathan Lethem both participate. Donna Tart does not, which just adds to her like Donna Tartness and her like mm-hmm, allure. Totally does. It is just like, it is so in the weeds. We are reading letters that Donna Tart sent to Jonathan Lethem freshman year of college and like breaking apart <gasps> like what her relationships, what it means about her relationship status that this line was included and that like she, and like how much she wanted a WB to this letter because she included her address on the letter itself, not just on the like return address, like all of it, all of it, all of it. And then there are so many like secondary sources, like the person who had one class with Brett Easton Ellis will be like interviewed for this oh and like talk about what he was like in that class. Wow. It is like, so, can you imagine? No. Sitting down and doing an interview about who sat at what table at the dining hall your freshman year. I wouldn't remember at all. I mean, I maybe mean, I if think, I went to a college of 700 kids. Maybe. But just like, it's like, it's just so, it's like, what was Donna Tart wearing the first time you saw her? Like that kind of stuff. Like, right. and for these people, for us, that'd be like 20 years ago. For these people, it's fully 40. Right. This so is, they're talking about 1982. Like also what unreliable. happened in that, oh, deeply unreliable, but a way that it, like, I think is like so like charming and lovable and like, again, completely nuts because mm-hmm. we're like being like, we're treating this all as though it's fact, but we're relying on the memories of 40 year old <laughs> memories of 18 year olds. Yes. Like, uh-huh. 
It's like ridiculous. It's also like there's like obviously just like so much 80s energy, just like so, so much Mm -hmm. 80s energy. You get so much of a taste of the less than zero L.A. stuff because of that. Like that's what Brad Easton Ellis's high school experience is all what that's based on. There's some like weird Nicolette Sheridan drama that like I did not see coming a mile away. And he, Brad Easton Ellis showed up at college with one suitcase of his like draft of less than zero and one suitcase of drugs. Oh my gosh. How on brand, how incredibly on brand, on brand. And like the vibe of everybody at this school, you either were like, you were like one of two, like fashion lanes. You were doing like black wayfarers, all black, like just like this kind of like punk modern, like whatever. So that was Donna Tartt. No, that was Freddie Sinellis. Okay. The other vibe was like fully brides had revisited. Because okay. the PBS miniseries came out. Wow. That year. Okay. And so people were dressing like college in the 1920s and the 1980s, including a man, Claire, who wore cream flannel pants, a cream like cable knit sweater, and carried around a teddy bear. <gasps> Gosh, college. I mean, it is just, it is just like, and this, oh, this person was like undeniably cool. Like, this <laughs> of course, cool. you would have to be. <laughs> you would have to They're be. They're like, if you are a secret history diehard, which I am not, there is just like so, so much of like getting like the host absolutely mm-hmm. as she's read the book a dozen times. Um, so oh, there's wow. like so much of like getting in there and like trying to parse like what what of what of this is like from Donna Tartt's own college experience and like mm-hmm. all of that. But like regardless, there is, it's just like is so fascinating to think about these three people coming from the, like having this shared experience together and like how much of that, if you can see it, you can be it, energy is going through this because Brett Easton Ellis also Thanksgiving break of freshman year had in like had meetings with Simon and Schuster. And so people (laughs) on campus like definitely knew this person's like has a draft of this book thing Mm -hmm. happening. And like, this is like a thing. And like, how much does that make these other two? And like, I'm sure other classmates just be like, maybe me, like maybe I can't, I don't know. That's so interesting. Because I always think that about Wilmington, you know, my hometown is yeah. like weirdly kind of a lot of famous actors out of it. And it's yeah. like, yeah, I wonder if that happened. It was just like, well, she's doing that. I can do that. Yeah. I mean, it certainly like sets a stage in a different way. Yeah. Huh. Primes the pump. Interesting. You I know? like that angle. Yeah. I like that angle for sure. I don't know. This thing is like, is completely ridiculous and a joy. Yeah. Wow. I'm in. Yeah. 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 Should we also talk about Sex Lives of College Girls, something we both loved so much? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Something we both loved. so good. Mindy Kaling's production company, I'm just – the way that people go really hard and buy merch from A24, I feel like I would do that with stuff from Mindy Kaling's production company. Everything is so good. A hundred percent. God, Claire, I wonder if that merch exists and if not, why? Because well, I think here's I'm, the thing. I I know I don't want to be mean. I, Mindy Kaling's aesthetic is not my own, so the merch would not actually be good. Well, this the, is my concern. I think we could get some good merch out of this. It doesn't have to be complicated. I just want some straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> what, is her product, what is her production company called? I just know that. I think it, it's just Kaling something. I don't think. I think it I actually think that's doesn't right. have like a complicated name. Okay. So, Let's but see. you know how it always says go to bed at yes. the end. So maybe we yes. can get some go to bed merch. I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, absolutely. A ton of sense. Yeah, let's get that going. Let's get that going. Okay. Okay. Anyway, anyway. Anyway, this show is about four women who are starting their freshman year of college who don't know each other, who are shoved together in a suite and they're dating and sex lives and just like social lives in general. They're all very different 
it is so wonderful. And it feels like a, it feels like a true evolution of the sitcom premise to me where I always like lament the fact that there's no real sitcoms anymore where, you know, like everything is going to be fine and it's just fun and it's light and it's truly low stakes. This is truly low stakes, but still like deals with some real stuff. It, it like manages to do the hard things, but not in a way that you're going to like cry about it during an episode. I don't know. Right. It doesn't like pretend things. It's, it, it's like very never have I ever in that way. Mm-hmm. Although never have I ever got a little, well, it it's, was always like a little bit dark and heavy. Not dark, but. It's gr- there's a lot of grief in never have I yeah, ever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Grieving. And there's yes. some very real stuff in this show too. But it just, yeah, it manages to take care of you in a way where you're like, I enjoyed that. Thank you. That was nice for me. That was nice for me. We we both like really appreciated the Parents Weekend episode, mm-hmm. which, which just like was a very like pointed dive into class and expectation and so many things. Basically, all these roommates and their parents go out to dinner during Parents Weekend together. And it's like, it's complicated in all the ways you can picture it. Like, I, I said to you that like the very premise of, of any friends, parents meeting each other is so deeply stressful for me and uncomfortable and anxiety inducing. And yet it happens all the time. And this is like a common thing, right? Like, oh, it's parents weekend or it's graduation. Like our families should all have a meal together. People treat it so casually. And I'm like, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. And I just loved that Mindy Kaling acknowledged that whoever was responsible for this episode acknowledged that like, no, this is an actual train wreck when people's parents get together because also parents are just very embarrassing and they do such a good job of, of representing all the different ways in which parents can be embarrassing with, from which emerges this universal truth, which is that all parents are embarrassing. They're just embarrassing in different ways. Yes. 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 There was that episode of Shrill that we've talked about on the podcast before of the parents going out to dinner with the boyfriend mm-hmm. that like felt like got it like a, yes. that mother daughter stuff really specifically. And just like, I don't know, some of the family stuff in uh, the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. Yes. Like just like a lot of the that's the ability to like cut so deep with these scenes that are just like that are commonplace. Right. And they're yes. like in this way that you're like, oh, my God, like I feel so many things. It's so good. It's so, so good. And you like, I, I personally identified with the embarrassment and, and shame of all of the characters at some, at some point or yes, another. At some junction. Like yeah. it wasn't yeah. just like, oh, that's my experience. It's like, I have had all of these experiences of parental embarrassment and shame and I will do them all to my child as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Props to whoever was like, let's keep this working title of Sex Lives of College Girls. <laughs> Um, because like, I have to believe that was a working title. And then they're like, mm-hmm. you know what? No, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just it. do it. Yeah. It's perfect. It's yes. like, so on the nose in the best way. Who isn't pressing play? Like, I don't know. Especially if you're like an, like old people like us, where you're like, Ooh, tell me <laughs> truly. It's also this running theme of like nosiness and semi-autobiographical stuff there's one character who's, if you are a Mindy Kaling super fan, like we are and have read all of her books is clearly semi-autobiographical. The character of Bella, who is um, really interested in comedy and is struggling with the sort of like bro-y nature of the comedy club that she's trying to break into and just the way that comedy isn't welcoming to women in general. And then also meeting the like expectations of her parents who are sort of like entrenched in these sort of like cultural ideals of what their daughter should be and all of that. And so it also feels like a little like peek into Mindy Kaling working out some of that stuff. 
And like Mindy Kaling navigating like comedy in college and like yes. that whole like thing. Like how did you even exactly. get into this? Like, right. yeah, yeah, that whole thing. Yes. We've yes, also totally. flagged some things that we're excited to watch soon, like things that mm -hmm. are coming back or coming out. So season two of Starstruck, which is another show that you and I both just got so much joy oh from. Oh my gosh. It's just a perfect little rom-com. Yeah, it's basically like Notting Hill meets Broad City. Mm -hmm. And it's co-written by and starring this woman, Rose Matafeo, who's a comic from New Zealand. And she's this like bumbling 20-something heroine. She's like the Hugh Grant of this, yes. of this <laughs> project. And she hooks up on New Year's Eve with somebody who ends up being a movie star. And that person's played by Nikesh Patel, who was also the star of this Four Weddings mm -hmm. and a Funeral Revival thing that was by Mindy yes. Kaling, which was like, which is no stakes, fun, and joy if I've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. um, he's also so hot and just so good at playing a leading man. Yes. Yes. Deeply hot. Like, I don't know why he's not more famous. Maybe he's more famous in the UK or something, but he's I think he's really going to be more famous. I think he's yeah. coming for us. I yeah. hope so. I hope so. He has a girlfriend who's an actress. I researched. Well, oh, I good. follow him on Instagram, obviously. It does not feel realistic at all. And that's also part of its joy. Yeah. Like, no, it's, yeah. it's so unrealistic. It's not relatable at all. There's no parts <laughs> where you're like, I identify. Because also the whole conceit around her not realizing this guy is famous, but he's so, like, it's all completely ridiculous, but it's still wonderful. And Minnie Driver plays it, the movie star's agent and has like a brief appearance in season one. And she's delightful. And I was so excited to see her. And I'm very hopeful that she returns in a bigger way for season two. It just feels like that we could be using more mini driver in our lives in general. Definitely. Another season two that's coming out that we know very little about, including when it's actually coming, is White Lotus. But they have announced that Michael Imperioli and Aubrey Plaza are both going to be in it. They've confirmed. It's rumored that Jennifer Coolidge will be sticking around as well also for it, which sounds like a great cast to me. Oh, my God. I feel like so many people return to The Sopranos during the pandemic, my my household included, that it's very that like it feels like Michael Imperioli's time to return to the, the forefront of our consciousness. I like this theory. This is a good mm -hmm. one talking mm -hmm. about returning to yeah. the Sopranos, but I keep being like, Thomas, you know, there's a lot of dying in the Sopranos. Um, <laughs> he's like, but like funny dying. And I was like, mm, like mob killing dying. Like, yeah. I don't know like that it's like comedy, like. He just does really poorly with any amount of like blood oh, and God, cuts. There's so much right? of it. Chris dedicate like committed himself intensely to watching it from start to finish. He'd never yeah. seen it at some point over the last couple of years. And so I was dropping in and out and definitely did not watch all of it, but got a much closer look at it than I'd ever had before. And I was surprised at how funny it was. And I was also surprised at how intensely violent it was both, even though I knew it was both. But right. Thank you for like reiterating the intense violence part because I have to oh, like yeah. continue to pitch that at my house. We're start we started watching Curb Your Enthusiasm from the beginning. That I was like, I like feel like speed. this is for sure, for sure. Uh, the right like the entire second episode takes place at Barney's. Like that's light. <laughs> like talk about light. I love that. I love it. Something else that's extremely light that I just, oh, I just am thrilled about. Marcel the Shell with shoes on is mm. getting a movie. So that original video, three minutes and 21 seconds, when I read about this news, I was like, I'm watching it again. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> it is pure joy. It holds up. I watched it twice in a row. And I was like, this is- It is perfect. genius. It's artistic genius. It's artistic genius. It came out in 2010. And speaking of people who got divorced, but are still collaborating, right. Dean Fleischer Camp and, Je and Jenny Slate. Yes. Um, like way before Jenny Slate was someone who Us Weekly gave a shit about. So 2010, right? This is like the era of like 
blogs to books. And like, Mm -hmm. this is like that kind of moment. It got 32 million. It's had 32 million views on YouTube. There was a book that came out. There were a couple more like installments of the video, just like two more. And then like a full 12 years later, we're getting a movie, like a feature film with Isabella Rossellini doing a voice. It was a quiet. wonderful. I mean, isn't this a thrill? It was acquired by A24, which like, it just like says so many things to me. Like it's like, (laughs) I, yeah, it's just like so much. And I just love that this like truly like little project that they decided yes. to do and put out there is still like still a thing, still happening. And it's like finally going to get its like, like true spotlight. And there was some interview that I watched with Jenny Slate where she said, all of the stuff that I have the deep creative urge to do is fairly unpitchable. Um, <laughs> and I just thought it was like, such a gem. And basically she was talking about like with Marcel the Shell, like you can't just like go be like, hey, you guys have this idea. You have to just make this thing and put it out and prove that obviously it's amazing and people want more of it. I cannot wait for that. I am so excited for that. And I just think we need to keep stockpiling the comfort content. So if people could just pitch it to us, leave us a voicemail, send us a DM. We're here for it. Yes. Yes. Give us more, please. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. 